On the morning of February 25th, 1918, 22 American women were rounded up and arrested on the charge of reasonable suspicion. They were not allowed to speak to anyone or to protest their innocence. Their only crime was being a woman while walking. Stay tuned to hear all about that on The Reluctant Historian. What's up, everybody? I'm Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian. Dakota Lawson. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. So, if you love history... Or you absolutely hate it. This podcast is for you. We'd like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement and recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to many different First Nations of Turtle Island. All right, what do you think we're talking about? Is it witches again? No. <laughs> I don't know. No. It sounds like their only crime wasn't just being a woman. It sounds like it's being witches. Yeah, that you're right. Yeah, witches. Um, that's your favorite. So obviously that's obviously what I Obviously you would do it if, like a fifth episode on yeah, witches or whatever. Absolutely. Uh, only crime being a woman. Were they trying to vote when it wasn't legal yet? <laughs> that's a good guess. That's a really good guess. Um, no, that's not the one. What, what is it? Well, so we're going to head back to war. Oh. A world war, in fact. A world war on venereal disease. What? Yes. Uh, it sounds a little tongue-in-cheek, what I'm saying, uh, which the way I've said it, it is. Um, and it sounds like a stupid idea to fight war on venereal disease, but this story is a lot less cheeky and a lot more dark than you might think. So while the name The War on Venereal Disease sounds pretty funny, the execution of it was a lot less fun. So we're going to be talking about The War on Venereal Disease, also known as The American Plan. The American plan? The American plan. The American dream, really. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what's your golden nugget? Hmm. I didn't think about this beforehand. <laughs> um, I guess, I don't know, we had uh, we had people over last night. I thought that's which, what you were talking about. Yeah, which which was fun. You know, I we've been, my one friend group, we've been making more of an effort to, you know, meet up every couple of months at yeah. the very least instead yeah. of our usual which was like hey we'll see each other maybe once a year yeah so uh yeah it's been nice just had a had a potluck um and uh yeah that uh it was uh it was cool mm-hmm. they uh i made i made spinach dip it didn't turn out great but you know i can't win them all you gotta try a different recipe every now and then and see what true. happens yeah that's true that's yeah. true I, do, I really like the fact that you guys are being intentional about yeah. hanging out like that's i think as adults especially like some of your friends in this group have um young children like you mm-hmm. have to be intentional about hanging out yeah absolutely so before we go before we leave each time um we put in our calendars when we're going to meet up next yeah, so that good. we actually plan to so yeah, yeah we're gonna have a barbecue next time we were also talking about like uh going to the, the club <laughs> it wasn't my idea yeah your two friends um i don't know if we're allowed to say their names on the podcast okay. so I just Chris, christina was oh okay <laughs> w- w- was like hey we should go to the club uh, well no nick wanted to go well she said it first though oh i thought it was nick that said it first no it was her and then she kept uh, pushing and i'm like i'm too old for this well but. you know it could be it could be fun by the end of the last time I went clubbing, which was many years years ago, I haven't even drank in like I think four like three years. years. Yeah, four years. Yeah. Yeah. So like the last, yeah, when I used to used to go every once in a while, it was like we'd go to the foam party and stuff, and it was it was a wild time. But by the end of it, I was like, 
like at the end of my run going to the club, I was like, ah, this is, I'm just not getting as much enjoyment out yeah, of this, you that's know? Fair. I don't feel productive. I'm just going there and. But you do like dancing. to dance. I do. And you and I have never danced. Uh, like in a club setting? Yeah. I, I guess not. So we could dance together. We, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it'd be a very different feel going. Yeah. Going right. now as opposed to when I last went, which was like four or five years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So yeah. what about you? What's yours? Uh, yeah, I got a new tattoo yesterday. Yeah. Yes. Um, I debated whether or not sharing that on the podcast because I have like this weird, I'm scared mom and dad are going to see my tattoo because they, they have they have opinions about tattoos. They don't like them. But you have a lot of them. I know. They hate them. Oh. So, but they don't listen to our podcast. So I was like, you know what? I can talk about <laughs> this to it. You're, the you're 37, dear. <laughs> yeah, there's like some unresolved trauma. Like, that's I see fine. That. I see that. So, uh, yeah, tell what yeah. your tattoo is. Yeah, so I used to have a cross, a watercolor cross on my left tricep. And um, just like going back into the classroom and just like with the climate of evangelical Christianity and like what the cross can represent... I um I didn't really think it was a safe tattoo to have for my my queer kids. Also, it didn't match my other tattoos because it's a watercolor and all of my other tattoos are traditional. Um, and so I just thought it would be. I was just like, I'm over this. Like, obviously, I still love Jesus, but I don't love what the cross represents anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't look at it and be like, you know what, Jesus is great. They look at it and be like, wow, that person probably has some really horrible views about queer people, which yep. I don't. And. I want my students to not look at me and be like, oh, she's going to judge me for being queer, right? Like, I want them to be like, oh, that's a person who I can be safe to be myself with. So I just thought it was really important to cover up that cross. And I covered it up with a little, like, bottle, like a trinkety bottle. I don't know. It looks like a potion bottle, but it's not a potion bottle. I don't, and, you keep saying potion bottle. I don't, like, it's like a vase, I would say. Yeah, like, it's it's kind of like a, a tincture bottle from, like, the 1900s. Our history fans will know what I'm referencing. History fans don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's all of our comedy fans. That- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we fit into either one camp, and I think it's more the comedy That's people true. listen That's to true. this. So. Yeah, so anyways, it's, a, like, a, um, like, a bottle, and it's got some flowers coming out of it, a tiger lily, um, like a prairie lily. Uh, to represent Saskatchewan, and then myrtle flowers, um, which represent love and commitment. Yeah. Yeah, so it's totally. cute. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I really like it. Yeah, it is a really nice tattoo. Thank you. So, yeah. and, you know, I guess you hate Jesus now. That's true. So. That's what I, that was the <laughs> that's story. That's the whole message that just came through to me. <laughs> yeah, that's fact. So, yeah. anyways, I, I'm happy with it. And Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, so let's get into the story. The American Plan. In 1918, as war in Europe was raging on, the government of the USA decided it was time to protect all of those men who enlisted from syphilis and gonorrhea that they were picking up overseas. Mm, yes, well, let's protect the white man. <laughs> when President Woodrow Wilson committed these young men to war, he said, quote, The federal government has pledged its word that as far as care and vigilance can accomplish the result, the men committed to its charge will be returned to the homes and communities that so generously gave them with no scars except those won in horrible conflict. So basically he's saying, we'll protect your boys unless they get hurt in combat. Mm. And if they're getting venereal disease or STIs, he's not protecting them. The belief, and it's debated whether or not this is fact or not, um, was that venereal disease was leaving thousands of men incapacitated daily. Yes, thousands daily, according to some military men. 
And the government of the USA couldn't meet the promise anymore that they were going to bring these boys back safe because they had syphilis. Do... Were were condoms a thing at this time? Yes, they were. It's true. So, like, I mean, there was just a lot of unprotected sex just going on. That's the... Like... So this is what the story that they're saying as to why they're bringing in this act. I think it's more that the government was like, how else can we control people? This is a way to do it. Right. And also they were like, we're Christians. We shouldn't be having all these people having sex. So. Wait, so, so are they, so did all these people have syphilis or they were just saying that they had syphilis? It's debated whether or not this, uh, these numbers are factual. Yeah. That seems like a lot. Yeah. Well, so I'll get to it in like literally two seconds, the number. Um, but yeah, so they were saying thousands of men daily have syphilis and then can no longer fight at the front lines. But also it would be um, economically burdensome to hospitalize and treat these men on the front lines. Mm. And then also you're losing manpower. Right. Right. So um, the quote or the data is from Raymond Fosdick, the chairman of the Commission on Training Camp Activities mm. in 1918. Raymond Fosdick. Yeah. He said that in some cases, as many as 33.3% of the men have been made ineffective through venereal disease. Quote, we cannot afford to have any condition of that kind in connection with American troops. Hmm. So that data, they think he might have fudged the numbers to like get what he wanted out of it. But um, I mean, obviously, yes, there was venereal disease. People have STIs. But, I've heard that before. Yeah. The <laughs> amount that they're claiming is probably not fact. Right. Yeah. That seems like, like a lot. Just yeah. having a th- like thousands of men just be like, I can't come into work today. I've got a bad <laughs> case of the syphilis. My penis is leaking. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, is that what happens from syphilis? Um, no, syphilis makes you go crazy. Gonorrhea, I think, is what makes your penis leak. Go crazy? Yeah. And like, then like pieces of your face fall off. What? Yeah, don't get an STI like that. Although we have drugs to, like, cure you now, so. God damn. Yep. Okay, because, yeah, syphilis is one of the ones that can be cured now, hey? Most STIs can be cured now. Again? Mm-hmm. Oh. Or at least treated so that you don't yeah, tr- pass tre- them on. Yeah, treated, yes. Lots but like- can be cured, like chlamydia, ST- um, syphilis, gonorrhea. Yeah. Um, those are the three that I can think of right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, also Saskatchewan, we're like the syphilis capital of Canada. I think I've actually have heard that. Yeah. Well, there's so many billboards up right now about it. (laughs) Just like proud billboards. Like, we're the number one. (laughs) Like, and on the radio, um, they're talking about, like, being on Tinder and swiping. And they're like, know who you're swiping on. Like, make sure you, like, get an STI check so that you don't get the syphilis. Because we've got it all over Saskatchewan. Damn. Yeah. That's, uh... Maybe, maybe no, absolutely not. But maybe we should implement the American plan. By... By kidnapping women? Well, just, yeah. We <laughs> tell you okay, I mean, I started that a couple of years ago, but I then I got married and I was like, hmm, maybe I should let these women out of my basement. Dakota. Okay, so Raymond Fosdick. Fuzzy Dick. Says 33% of men have venereal diseases. He is the person in charge of this commission called the Commission on Training Camp Activities. So it's important to remember that name because they're the ones that kind of implement this. So this commission was actually established the year previously in April 1917 when America joined the war. They created an agency within the Department of War called the Military Morale Section, which later became the Moral Branch. 
It existed to help provide recreational and educational activities for military men stationed in the massive training camps across the country and overseas. So men would come from all over the world. And this is how the Spanish flu was also spread, which we talked about in season one. But the men would come from all over across America to go to these camps to learn how to go fight overseas. And part of this com- this group, the um, morale section, they were like, we're going to create some healthy activities for these young men to partake in. So uh, are you thinking about having intercourse? Why not try a puzzle instead? Okay, but like you're saying <laughs> that as a joke, but like, yes, really? 100%. So, and this is coming from like a super Christian mindset. Is that the, well, you said that? Yeah, like America you? was like a little bit more Christian mindset than they are today. Yeah. Well, deb- debatable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, the, yes, like sort of like they were like, we have morals, we have values. Yeah. That thinking we, about jerking off. Why don't you try praying on st- instead? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the morale section of the Department of War, which is also yeah. crazy that the yeah. Department of War has this like branch called the moral section. Yeah, we have morals. I mean, you can fucking go kill people, but like, you know, don't touch your dinky. Yes. <laughs> so they worked with the YMCA as well as other civilian organizations to build libraries, organize choirs set up athletic events, specifically boxing, and to generally provide positive recreational forces that were to take the place of the things that they were trying to eliminate, such as drinking, fighting, rabble rousing. <laughs> boxing, <and> though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, you can fight in a boxing ring, but, like, not outside of the boxing ring. Yeah. Like, that's okay. Rabble rousing and hiring sex workers. So they were like, we don't want these things to happen anymore. Go yes. sing in a choir. I'm sure they, I'm sure back in the day they were like, let's, uh, uh, no hiring sex workers sure that's the phrase they used. No, I changed it. (laughs) Uh, You better not hire any whores. That's probably what they said, yes. Yeah. (laughs) So the War Department believed that sexually satisfied men would not be easily motivated. So, like, if you were getting good sex, you wouldn't want to go fight. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I feel like if I wasn't getting any or if I, like, just really needed to bust a nut, I would be very, you know, distracted and wouldn't be fully focused. (laughs) Yeah, so, so that was part of it. So part of their scheme was mm. to leverage sexuality as a motivating force for its conscripted soldiers in order to embrace their roles in the war. The goal was, as historian Eric Rogers writes, to give sexual denial, cause status anxiety, and perceived pressure from women. It's a powerful combination. In striving for the approval of women, the morale planners hoped that soldiers would perform their duties without complaint, fight harder, and be willing to risk their lives. All for that good good. Yes. <laughs> Is that the good good? Sorry, I, I'm I just, I'm not following exactly. They would deny them sex, but with the promise of getting sex later? Or yeah, what? well, so they wouldn't necessarily promise sex, but they would yeah. say you, like, they would eliminate um, sex workers from around the area, be like, yeah. you can't hire um, sex workers uh, because you need to, they thought it would be better for them to fight. Um, but then they would also say, but all the women back at home are going to be like, oh yeah that soldier he's pretty hot like he's so they would kind of like lord that over them but then also be like but you don't want to be hiring sex workers because these pretty bettys back at home won't want to be with you if you've been sleeping around yeah so that's kind of the the vibe that they were doing but they weren't specifically like you're gonna get your dank stank when you get home they were they were more like there's gonna be a lovely lady waiting for you Yes, yeah. and then she will... Because they, they don't want to promote having sex. Right, so then you can marry her. 
Yeah. Yeah. You you can get your danky stank after you get married. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, that was their because they were like, if they're out there sleeping with sex workers, they're not going to fight for us. Yeah. So. Anyways, to this end, the commission or the morale section of the War Department encouraged the YMCA to strategically recruit women to work in canteens in both America and Europe who were attractive enough to stimulate the men, but old enough to op- to uphold their morals and refrain from sexual activity. And I'm sure that went over very well. <laughs> ah, MILFs. <laughs> Yep. Nice. <laughs> yep. Chaperone dances were held in locales close to training camps in the U.S. and in designated leave areas in France. Mm. So they could, like, have dances with these pretty women but and not sleep with them. Well, And at this time, I'm sure um, blue balls and masturbation were at an all-time high. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and then soldiers were heavily, heavily encouraged to write home to wives and sweethearts. <laughs> so... So I guess all of this sounds fine enough on the surface, but you know the government can't just let things be. Um, And so the government entities didn't just stop at providing morally allowable alternatives to visiting red light districts, um, because I'm sure that singing in a choir was much more appealing to the soldiers than meeting with sex workers. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Or hiring sexy moms to serve their dinners. Sexy moms. That's what I wrote. (laughs) Oh, you did. Okay, so so you, we were on the same wavelength with the MILFs then. Yeah. So instead, so instead of just leaving it at that, the United States Congress went on to pass the Chamberlain Con Act. And you just yelled, Con in your head, didn't you? I, I totally. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't? No, I was thinking of a thinking of a joke to make, but yeah. Con <laughs> So they passed that on uh, July 9th, nineteen eighteen. So what was that act? What what is that act? Yes. This act implemented a public health program that later became known as Just the American Plan. And it authorized the military, police, and public health officers to arrest any person reasonably suspected of sex work and subject Mm. them to an invasive screening for sexually transmitted infections. Mm. So... But at the time, at the time it was STD, though, right? Um, venereal disease is what it was actually. Called. Oh, they didn't. Okay, so uh, basically they were like, uh, it's time to implement Operation Kidnap Hooters. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the, I'll get into it a little bit, but essentially the the laws say anyone, but they targeted women. Right. So, um, any woman reasonably suspected of sex work, they were able to arrest them, and then if this person was tested positive they were forcibly quarantined in jails hospitals and even former brothels that had been converted into places to keep quote fallen women in and there was no deep due process so no right Mm -hmm. to trial or anything like that they could just be like i think you have an sti so i'm gonna arrest you wow that uh that i'm glad laws you know and stuff got got better over time because so the, these laws are actually still in the books and people could still be arrested for these laws. Really? Yeah, I'll talk about it at the end, Whoa. but yeah. Can you do a citizen's arrest? I suppose. We, you, well, like, we don't live in America, so we oh, don't you, have these we laws. Don't ha- we don't have citizen's arrest? Well, we don't have these, the American plan laws. Oh, shit, because I was start, if I could, I was just going go, to go to... start arresting women for yeah. being reasonably suspected of... Hey, I, I, you, you have an STI, I bet, and I kidnapped them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awful. <laughs> so, and to top all of this off, uh, some women who did test negative were incarcerated anyways, as their presumed promiscuity or immorality was deemed a public health threat. It's only a matter of time You're before right. 
you get our our men all bleeding from their eyes or whatever, ripping off their faces, whatever you said about syphilis. So, for example, in Sacramento, California, in 1918, two dozen women were rounded up by the authorities. So this is what we kind of were, I was alluding to at the beginning. Mm -hmm. A woman named Margaret Hennessy was one of them, and she was apprehended while walking with her sister to the meat market. This was on Tuesday, February 25th, and Hennessy, who lived in Richmond, California with her husband at the time, had been staying in town after recovering from the flu. She was staying at the home of her sister, Mrs. Bradditch, and as the two women walked to the market, they were approached by a man named Officer Ryan and other members of Sacramento's Morals Squad, a unit that had just been formed that very morning and had been tasked with cleansing the city of vice and immorality. The police told the two lone women that they were under arrest as suspicious characters. Mrs. Hennessy tried to explain who she was and what she was doing in Sacramento, and she offered to show the officer's identification. They arrested her anyways, and then Hennessy later told the press that, quote, the officers paid no heed, but took my sister and I to the hospital. The moral squad delivered the two women to a place called Canary Cottage, as the isolation hospital was known. There, a doctor probed and prodded the women's genitalia, examining them for STIs. Mm -hmm. Margaret's experience was actually far from unusual, so it was very normal. As we know, she had been detained under the American plan that actually continued on up until about the 1970s in some places, and tens of thousands and perhaps even hundreds of thousands of American women were detained and forced to undergo these horrific examinations. While many records of the program have been since lost or destroyed, we do know that their forced internment could have been as long as a few days or even up to many months. From the records that do exist, we know that inside these institutions, women were often injected with mercury and forced to ingest arsenic-based drugs, which were the most common treatments for syphilis in the early part of the century. If they misbehaved or failed to show proper ladylike deference, these women could be beaten, doused with cold water, thrown in solitary confinement, or at worst, sterilized. Oh. Mm-hmm. I don't... I don't... I'm going to say something a little bit crazy. Okay. I don't think this moral squad is very moral. I don't think so. I agree with you. They're very bad boys. Thank you. Yes. So back to World War One and the men who were contracting all these diseases. Now, suddenly, the diseases presented more than just a health threat, but a threat to national security. What? Yes. Because if the soldiers have the clap, they can't be out protecting the world from the enemy in Germany. <laughs> because instead of, instead of uh, you know, shooting their guns, they'll be scratching their nuts. <laughs> You know, oh, I got the clap. Oh, oh. As part of the American plan, officials passed a federal law that outlawed sex work within a five-mile moral zone of every military training camp in the country. So that's kind of where that whole, um, the YMCA working with the moral squad were like, now these um, red light districts can't be near the army training camps. Hmm. And when they learned that most infected soldiers and sailors actually contracted their STIs back in their hometowns Uh before coming to basic training, they worked to expand this law to cover the entire nation. Oh, no. And when it was learned that most of the women who supposedly infected the men weren't actually professional sex workers, which I don't know what that means. Maybe they were just like their girlfriends instead. Yeah. They expanded the program even further. Really? Mm -hmm. So like now it's just not not just people they think are have or as being sex, wor- sex workers they're just like you are a woman yes you are infecting our men yes Oof. yeah so that's kind of the idea where they were like oh you look like you could be promiscuous we're just gonna put you under arrest because we think you're having sex what about the dudes that are giving the <laughs> that's a great question you know i was gonna say schizophrenia but that's not that's the syphilis. Syphilis, the syphilis yes. yeah but uh yeah what are the, like they're giving 
you know, I'm sure they've passed around a lot too. So then the, the these girls now they have syphilis and you know like nah. well, and I mean you get kind of right to the heart of the matter that yes the law said that it could arrest anybody who was mm-hmm. reasonably reasonably suspicious of having an STI, which also is like how do you determine that? Like I you look like you have an STI, so I'm going to arrest you. Yeah, like that's stupid, but. Um, but in like actuality, they really only arrested women because fucking America is obsessed with controlling women's bodies. Totally. And and also they're, they have all this data for all these guys that have, uh, syphilis, but nothing's being done to them other than being, them being told they need to do puzzles instead. (laughs) Which like one could argue, like might be worse. No, I'm just kidding. Puzzles are great. I want to be, I'd be like, I, I, (laughs) <laughs> at, at this whole meeting i'd be like i have an sti i have sex with hooters please <laughs> don't do make me do a puzzle <laughs> i would hate that be like and then i'd be just doing my puzzle i'd be like yeah <laughs> meanwhile i've <laughs> i i'd never i never even laid with a woman yeah So, beginning in 1918, federal officials began pushing every state in the nation to pass something that they called a model law, Mm. which enabled officials to forcibly examine any person reasonably suspected of having an STI. The phrasing reasonably suspected is so insidious here. It basically gave carte blanche to its enforcers to arrest whomever they wanted. It's fucked, man. So fucked. Like, what does that even mean? Under the statute, those who tested positive could be held in detention for as long as it took for them to be non-infectious. And it should be noted that on paper, and I've said this before, the law was gender neutral. Any person could be subject to the law. But in practice, it focused almost exclusively on policing women and their bodies. Surprise. For just one example, in 1918, of the 1,121 people in Michigan who were detained under suspicion of having an STI, 95.6 of them were women. There were a percentage of men? Yeah. Yeah, some men did, but like... They're like, well, we we can't have it. the numbers be all women, so we'll arrest those five dudes over there. <laughs> like, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So reaction to this law was supported both complicitly and outright. Most people were... Most people in power were like, yes, this is a good law. Mm. Um, the mayor of New York, Fiorello LaGuardia, gave speeches saying how great the plan was. And then California Governor Earl Warren personally spearheaded its enforcement in his state. In 1918, the attorney general personally sent a letter to every U.S. attorney in the country, assuring them that the law was constitutional. And he also sent a letter to every U.S. district judge, urging them not to interfere with its enforcement. That seems a little bit sus to me. It does. Yes. That's what the judge probably said. As he opened the letter, he's like, well, this is a little bit sus. (laughs) And then in World War II, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, who we see right now kind of like fighting against a lot of the transgender bans. Transbenders. Stop it. Transgender bans. So in World War I, this law, this like union said, uh, don't oppose the plan. And its founder sent a memorandum, memorandum encouraging its local branches to cooperate with officials enforcing it. So I think that's interesting that the ACLU has really changed its stance on like what was allowed but to me it just reads that as women who are engaged in sex work are deemed as less than human yeah yeah that seems to be seems to be the case yeah. that like what they th- <laughs> sorry that makes it sound like i 
it seems to be the case that uh, that's what they think. Yes. I'm not like, yeah, that seems to be the case. Less than human. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I didn't think that that's what you were saying, but I guess the way you phrased it did kind of. Yeah. Are yeah. we not doing phrasing anymore? No. <laughs> so governors and state legislators responded to the federal government's model law with enthusiasm. As STIs were a hated epidemic and most sex workers were incorrectly blamed for spreading the STIs mm-hmm. and they served as popular scapegoats. Thus, by 1921, every state in the Union, as well as hundreds of municipalities, had one of those statutes on their books, and cities and states enforced these laws off and on for the next 50 years. So if we look back to the Sacramento sweep, where we have Margaret Hennessy and her sister, Mm -hmm. they were not the only women arrested that day. Officer Ryan and the rest of the Morrill squad had had a busy morning. According to police records, they arrested a total of 22 women, all for the crime of suspicion of STIs. Hennessy was the only woman who gave a statement to the newspaper about her arrest because she said, my reputation means something to me and I'm going to defend it. Good. The STI examinations concluded that neither Hennessy nor her sister had an STI, so they were released at 8 p.m. that night with orders to appear before the court the next day, which I don't know why. If yeah. they don't have it, like, why do they have to come to court? Like, so stupid. How dare you stand up for yourself? Yeah. And then at 9.30 the next day, Hennessy stormed into the court, ready, as she told the Sacramento Bee, to defend herself. However, she did not get the chance to because she was informed that the charges had been dismissed. Oh, So that's good, I guess. Yeah. In fact, of the 22 women who had been arrested for suspicion of STI, and I cannot get over the name of that stupid crime, um, of these 22 women, 16 were released later that day, six were held overnight, and were not allowed to speak with or contact anyone, which is, like, also so against the american constitution or whatever yeah and in the end only one woman tested positive for an sti oh wow which even still like so what like so what she can like why does it matter that she has an sti fuck off sounds like a witch to me (laughs) the american plan was horrendously sexist and i would venture misogynistic it made no sense from a public health perspective Nearly every person who was examined and locked up was a woman, and the vague standard of reasonable suspicion enabled officials to detain basically any woman that they wanted. So when I was doing this research, I was like, this reeks of the Salem witch trials or... It is witches. You're you're tricking me. Or the Red Scare or now the laws against trans people in Florida. Um, it seems to me that America never learns that they're just like, you know what? We're just going to control people because that's what we like to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that tracks. Yeah. So they could detain any woman that they wanted. So we have records that exist that document women being detained and examined for sitting at a restaurant alone, for changing jobs, for being with a man, Mm. for walking down a street in a way that the male official found suspicious, and often for no reason at all. (laughs) Hmm, That woman seems to be scratching her cooter. I think she's suspicious. (laughs) So here's a fun fact that made me so mad. I'll be the judge of that. Many women were also detained if they refused to have sex with police or health officials. <sighs> what? Why am I not surprised? Right. I, well, it's so, okay. So interesting that you say that because that, like as you were describing how they were like all these women were detained and stuff like that. I was thinking about like like how many of or like yeah did that kind of happen during like while they were incarcerated and stuff like that did they get sexually assaulted or you know stuff like that Mm -hmm. so like i'm not surprised but i'm like yeah that's yeah fucked up but uh so in the late 1940s because these laws were on the books for quite a long time still are uh san francisco police officers sometimes threatened to have women vaged meaning vaginally examined if the women didn't give in to sexual demands oh jesus um 
first of all, did they call it vaged? Yes. That seems like a modern term. It does. Yeah. Maybe that's where we got it from. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, um, sounds like a lot of guys who just can't take that hit to the ego when they're yeah. when they get told no. Yeah. Uh, dirty fucks. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, women of color and immigrant women were particularly targeted and subjected to a higher degree of abuse once they were locked up. Black women were often segregated from white women, jailed in subpar facilities, and subjected to more violence, with some being sterilized against their will or without yeah. their knowledge. Jesus. Government officials warned that women of color were less moral and were intent on infecting soldiers, and they considered black people in particular a, quote, syphilis-soaked race. Oh. Isn't that awful? That's that hurts thinking like oh it's so gross fuck Mm -hmm. so i'd like to mention that many of these women didn't go quietly hundreds of women who had been locked up under the american plan attempted to escape their detention facilities at least one woman actually jumped out a window to her death Mm. and another woman leapt from a moving train in order to avoid incarceration others would riot and destroy the places in which they were being held many would burn these buildings to the ground and still others would go on hunger strikes or use the press to call attention to the conditions under which they suffered. So despite the fact that women were being oppressed horribly, um, they didn't go quietly. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. The effects of the American plan on perceptions and the policing of women's sexuality, especially regarding sex workers, have been numerous. According to historian Barbara Hobson, during World War I, panic about venereal disease completed the transformation of the image of the prostitute, so I'm keeping her words here, from sex victim to sex villain. Mm. Yeah. So they start seeing sex workers as bad guys rather than people who are forced into it, I guess, because of their right. their, sta- their status. Yeah. Um, and when we remember that practically any promiscuous, i.e. sexually active woman, could be considered a sex worker at the time, this transition is really highlighted in a line from a letter written in 1917 from a mother to the Secretary of War at the time. And she writes... Shoot the lewd woman as you would the worst German spy. They do more damage than all of the spies. While tens of thousands of women were detained and forcibly examined under the American plan and the Commission on Training Camp Activities led to the shutdown of more than 100 red light districts nationwide, the rates of STIs among military men remained quite high regardless. Eventually, enforcement of the American plan ended by the 1970s amid the rise of the Civil Rights Movement and the Women's Lib Movement and the Sex Workers' Rights Movement. And although it was around for at least 50 years, many people have never heard of it. Even fewer people are aware that the American plan laws, those that were passed in the early 20th century, which enabled officials to examine people merely reasonably suspected of having an SDI, are still on the books, in some form, in every state in the nation. Some of the laws have been altered or amended, and some have been absorbed into broader health public statutes. But each state still has the power to examine reasonably suspected people and isolate the infected ones if health officials deem isolation necessary, which is fucking scary, Mm -hmm. especially considering the climate of America right now. Yeah. Indeed, only three decades ago, the Chamberlain-Kahn Act and the American Plan were invoked in debates surrounding government-imposed quarantines for HIV and AIDS patients. In the few cases in which some manner of isolation and quarantine did occur at that time, they were acting under the shadow of the American plan, proving that such practices can still be legally reintroduced. So, Dakota, what do you think? <sighs> well, uh, let me tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, a lot of the stuff you said. It's sad to say, I could see, I could see very much happening 
today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it's like I think of and I, I'm not an expert on this, you know, obviously I don't, you know, would never go through this. But I just think to, um, you know, all the stuff that's happening with, you know, abortion laws in, in the States yeah. and how it's like, you know, it's just like, how the fuck is that happening in, in uh, well, where we are or should be as a society that um, white men are just making the decisions of mm-hmm. what should happen mm-hmm. to, you know, stuff that they have no fucking business with Absolutely. and could never even fucking understand. Right. So Get it. Uh, I, I really want the people that, you know, the, that did this moral, the moral squad and the people today who, uh, you know, do stuff like, you know, where they're putting, well, a- anybody down in that way where they're setting back our society. I want them to get the worst kind of uncurable syphilis where their faces start falling off. Go fuck yourselves, you dirty cock gobblers. That's what I'll go with. We'll go with cock gobblers. I was like, where am I going to go with this? But um, So I think I'm going to give this a 7.6 white men with tiny cocks out of 10 because okay. that's the energy that these type of people bring to yeah. the bring to the room is is this in the, they have this i don't know need to feel superior and that they're that they have their way and it screams of you know them having tiny dicks or having their wives you know, uh, leave leave them for a much better a better person, and having them just be having to. This is getting in a dark place right now. I'm just like I just like I'm just trying to figure out why the fuck do these uh, like. <sighs> I think it comes from like power. I think that yeah. people don't have a good understanding of not a good understanding of power, but like. I feel like in order for people who are making these laws, like, yeah, you've kind of hit the nail on the head that like... The tiny cock thing? Yeah, but like, I'm going to say it in a different way. And that like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that they see it as I need to have my own thing. And if I can't have my own thing and other people are getting power or good things, it's going to take away from my good thing. And um, they have this idea that, that it's finite, that right. goodness or power or whatever is finite, which sometimes it is. Um, and so they have to control or keep down people who could be threats to their power, which is essentially what I think is happening here. And mm-hmm. that, um, and to add to that, cause I definitely agree that, but that they also, you know, there's that controlling mindset of like, you have to do things, you have to live your way, the, your life the way that I live. You have to live your life the way that I live my life. Yeah. I don't do that kind of thing. So the funny thing is, a lot of them engage in yeah, that. Yeah, sort of like yeah. There's the the bad behavior. I, I mean, you could look at like again, just back to Christianity. You can look at the hypocrisy of everything that you know. A lot of them do or have mm-hmm. done that. It's like you don't live that way, but then they're doing stuff that it's like clearly you're mm-hmm. not supposed to be doing this. So, oh. 
Well, I'm sorry to bring you down today, babe. No, it's okay. I know I, you said when you were when you were doing research, you got so heated about this. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah, I was so so, so like retelling the story. I'm like less upset, but yeah, yeah, I was I was I was like I was on the verge of tears writing some of this stuff because I'm just like this is so horrendous and horrific, and people being like this is this is fine. Yeah, like I I just it makes me sick. Absolutely, I. It is sick that they didn't let those guys bust a nut anymore <laughs> and that they had to do puzzles. puzzles. <laughs> I know. So sad So I just had to bring it up one more to you did. bring yeah, it that's back. Fair. So that's fair. Yeah, that's all I got though. It was it was it was interesting. It was just it was just sickening that yeah. this is a thing that ha- happened and I could see happening. Absolutely. Fucked. Yes. Yeah, well, I, actually, the last little point that I'll say here, the reason that I found about out about this law is because there are quite a few TikTokers right now in the States that are like, hey, these laws are still in the books and we need to be aware of that because mm. it, people could twist it. Totally. So um, yeah. I just thought that that was gross. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review or tell your friends about us because any podcasts really do grow through word of mouth. And if you want to stay in contact, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian or leave us a tip at buymeacoffee.com slash the historian. So we'll see you in two weeks. Same time, same place. Maybe I need a new catchphrase or something. Maybe like I could be like, at the end, I could be like, keep on puzzling. <laughs> there we go. Nailed it.